0: I'm on. Yeah, I'm on. (laughs) Good morning. Uh, If we have not met, my name is Randy Rush, and uh, I'm the executive director of the Courage Center here in town. Uh, We help teens, adolescents, young adults, and their families who are struggling with substance use issues. And sometimes when Nick's out of town, uh, I, I get to be the replacement person, along with a bunch of other folks here on the team. And, uh, you know, we, we appreciate the opportunity. I hope you're not disappointed. But, you know, everybody needs a break, and I'm glad that Nick and his family could get away. Uh, and so, you know, this is, um, this is my chance to weigh in on our peopling series. We've, over the last few weeks, been talking about peopling, talking about relationships. And uh, as we go through this, we'll talk about all different types of relationships. I'm going to talk about one today, really about your family of origin and how those interactions and experiences and things that you learn growing up your family uh, have an impact in your life today now when I was in the past when I was a pastor of a church I did a lot of weddings I've still done a lot of weddings once you find that you're ordained um, you know and people find that out you you kind of circulates through your family and friends and you'll get a call hey so-and-so's getting married they don't have a home church or they're getting married in some place they need a pastor would you marry them and, you know, I believe getting married is a God thing. Everybody needs to get married. You know, some people say, well, you know, if you're not part of my church, I'm not going to marry. No, God wants people to be married, right? So I'm willing to help in that process any way we can, regardless of where you are spiritually, right? I want you to get married. Uh, it's a good thing. Uh, so I've done a lot of weddings. Now, this is what people think wedding pe- pictures look like. Is this the one, the couple? The happy couple, Right. You and your partner are going to be in wedded bliss, and you're starting this new life together, just the two of you. The real picture of what your wedding should look like is this next one. That's what your marriage looks like. It's you, your spouse, their parents, their siblings your parents, your siblings, because that's what all is coming in your marriage. You think somehow that we have this blank slate. Now, I know as a guy, you know, I know as someone chasing another person, I may have this look on my face that I have, don't have anything else back there. I've only got one thing on my mind. But the truth of the matter is all of these other people are tagging along behind me in my little red wagon. So when I would sit down with people to do premarital counseling, I would tell them, you have all of this history, all of these experiences, all of these things that you've learned, how you watched your family do finances, how you watched your family fight, what was okay to say, what was not okay to say, the roles that we play, the rules, all of that stuff is in your little wagon." And when you walked up in front of that minister to get married, you pulled your little wagon and the person that you married pulled their little wagon. Now, today we're going to talk about what are some of the things that were in that wagon and what were some of the things that shaped us into being the people that we are today. Now, I know there's someone probably here today, you're probably rolling your eyes and you're saying, Randy, I came here to hear the word of God. I came here to see the Bible preached. I don't need any of this psychology mumbo-jumbo stuff. Let me tell you something. We were created and built to have intimate relationships, to yearn for them. We follow a triune God, a we, not an I. So from all eternity, God has been in a relationship God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus said what? How do we show our love, right? It's love God and love who? Our others, people in our life. So when we are doing anything that improves our relationships, improves our lives, helps our marriages better, helps our friendships better, helps our relationships better, helps us be more attuned to other people and work with other people, that is sacred work. That is sacred work. So today, if it's going to sound like a lot of psychology, guess what? It is. Because we live in a fallen world. We live between Eden and eternity. And in that space in between in this fallen world, it affected every bit of this world. Paul said all of creation groans wanting to be redeemed. And somehow in the church, we get this feeling that, hey, I know your sin-sick soul needs to be saved, but hey, guess what? My sin-sick mind and my heart and my spirit needs to be redeemed and changed. All of that needs to be changed. So today, I'm going to tell you about the things that might be in your wagon, some of the things that happen that might have an impact in your family, might have an impact about how you do life. It might explain some things. It might show you some things that you need to work on. I sure found a bunch of stuff I needed to work on. I ain't right. I ain't perfect. I'm getting there. Day by day, it's a a marathon. Psychologists tell us, among other things, that every single child needs six at least six of these things, six of these things, to grow up and be healthy. Number one, psychologists tell us that we need attunement. What is attunement? I'll give you an example. This morning, at 6.37 in the morning, I'm preparing for this sermon. I'm still working on it, and the cat comes in my office, and the cat starts meowing and rubbing up against my leg, and he's doing all those things. Oh, isn't that sweet? The cat is loving on me, and the cat's knowing that I'm stressed. And all of a sudden, I look at the cat, and I'm like, Something isn't right, is it? I'm looking at her, and I go, you're trying to tell me something, aren't you? I stand up. She runs towards the door. I walk down the hall. She looks back at me. She's going down the steps. And about midway through the steps, I knew what it was. There was an empty spot in the bottom of her food bowl. Now, forget all the food that's in the round it. There is one empty spot. She can see the bottom of that food bowl. And, dude, her world is in a panic. I was attuned to what she was trying to tell me. When you were growing up, could your parents read your face? Could they see your body language? Could they tell that something was wrong with you? Were they emotionally present enough to say, hey, something's not right? Jerry, when you sit on the front row, you know that I will end up picking on you at some point today. It's just, I can't help it. Right? Were they attuned or were they so emotionally distant and so caught up in their own problems and challenges that they couldn't be attuned to you? Maybe it was a proximity thing. My mom was the third child. Her mother had gone back to work. Her two older sisters were older than her and kept her. They had someone come in to help at the house. My mom didn't see my grandmother much. My mom didn't see my grandfather much. You know, I've heard her talk. They weren't very attuned to her. Her sister was attuned to her. But what she needed was her mother more attuned. Okay? You got to have attunement. Gabor Gabor Mate, M-A-T-E, one of my favorite um, folks in the recovery industry, but he also talks a lot about your family of origin stuff. He said the best thing that a mom and a dad can do for their child is to practice self-care. What? What? That don't make any sense. Listen, when you have a child and they're looking at you, they're wanting to see, are you stressed? Are you emotionally distant? Are you anxious about things? And when you're a little, little, little child, you don't understand the world. And if I see my mom and I see that she's stressed and anxious, what do I think? As a child, I'm a narcissist. I think the whole world revolves around me. And when I'm an infant and I'm a little kid, so when I see my mom and she's anxious and she's upset, and she's distraught, and she's not attuned to me, what do I think? There must be something wrong with me. When you have these experiences as an infant and a child, we come into that marriage and all that stuff in our wagon. These experiences change our brains. Everybody thinks we come out of a factory and we're plopped out. Boom, 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 right? Ready to go. We're not. We're shaped as infants and young adults and kids. And the behaviors that you see as an adult were turned on and our brains were changed by these experiences as infants. Was your family, was your parents attuned to you? The second thing is responsiveness. You needed your parents, every child needs their parents to be responsive when the child is feeling distressed, mad, sad, afraid. If your parents were attuned and they read your face, Did they respond to it? There's a difference between I know something's wrong and me actually engaging with my child to see what that being wrong is. Did they respond to it? Did they chase after you? Some of you don't want to think about that. Because if you think about it, your parents did not respond to you, and you think, if they knew something was wrong and never really engaged me, holy cow, what does that mean? They didn't like me. I don't know. Maybe they were so broken by their own families. You know, I hear that verse thrown around sometimes, you know, the sins of the father go down to the third and fourth generations. What I really think a better translation of that is, is the repeated patterns of dysfunctional family translates down to the third and the fourth generations. That's probably a more realistic interpretation of that divorce. I did training yesterday and spoke at a conference on Friday. If I have to drink today, y'all forgive me. I almost thought I was losing my voice, right? When they saw that something was wrong, did they respond? The third thing children need is they need engagement. Did your parents have an internal intention and genuine desire to truly know you? To know your heart, were they willing and able to engage with you at a heart level? Were you pursued by your parents? Neuroscientist Kirk Thompson says, Each one of us comes into this world looking for someone looking for us. Each of us come into this world looking for someone looking for us. We come into this world looking for someone that's looking for us, and we believe at the beginning it's our parents. It's all we know. We're a child. I can't do anything for myself. I'm so dependent upon my parents. As I start to grow older and I have these problems of life, right? I get upset at work I, or at school. I get bullied. Are my parents interested in my heart and what's going on with my life or that, were they so emotionally broken themselves that they didn't engage us? Our deepest desire is that there will be somebody looking for us And this person will always be there for us and will pursue our hearts with a genuine desire to truly know us, to know us what's going on on the inside of us. Thompson said this, the core of abandonment is not physical abandonment. It's the lack of attunement, responsiveness, and engagement from your parents. All of this thing, all of these things come up if you, if you we don't have time to go into it today. And let me just say this. This is an introduction. I had lunch with Nick on this week. I went, dude, I can't do all this in one 20, 25-minute sermon. I can introduce some things. But that's about as far as we're going to get. There's got to be parts two, three, four, five. There's got to be some studies that we do because this stuff is sacred work, and it will change your life and explain so much about how your life works and your interactions with other people. But the core of abandonment is not physical abandonment. It's a lack of attunement, responsiveness, and engagement from your parents. Your parents did the best they could. Your parents did not do anything probably to harm you out of malice. There's a difference. Nathan, our son, did uh, peer support for uh, Laredak, and he worked with men who were homeless as a result of their opioid use. Let me tell you something. He heard stories of outright abuse on a daily basis. First, I said, Hunter, Hunter, you're here. Hunter, I bet you've heard stuff like that before. You know what that looks like. Probably a lot of us here, there's someone here that's had that. But for the most of us, we go, no, my parents love me. My parents put food on the table. My parents put a roof over my head. I was loved. You were loved. You are loved. Your parents did the best they could. But what I'm asking you was how attuned to you were they emotionally? Did you feel safe in sharing your emotions with them? Or were you taught at a very early age? I have to go somewhere else to get my emotional needs met. I'm on my own. I have to do this myself because my parents are too busy. My parents are not emotionally available. My parents love me, I, I think, but do they care? And some of us grew up from home, in homes where they looked at you and they just said, look, you've got to figure this out on your own. I'm busy. i got X number of children. I have jobs. We have jobs. You know, we've got to work. We have to do this. We have to do that. And you found out pretty quick that this world is not really a safe place for you to share your emotions and to talk. You don't think you carry that into your marriage? You don't think you carry that into the relationships that you have at work? You carry that the rest of your life. Because these things were ingrained in your mind as a two-year-old, a three-year-old, a five-year-old, an eight-year-old, a nine-year-old. The third thing, Is it third or fourth. The next one is the ability to regulate your, your affect. Affect refers to your internal emotional state. It's, it's the felt sense of what's happening inside your body. It ranges from either numb or shut down to terrified and panicked. So whenever you're stressed out, that's another way to say that your affect is dysregulated. Could your parents, if they were attuned and they were engaged and they were responsive, could they help you settle yourself down? Did they know how to help you become emotionally regulated? Did they know how to comfort you when you were upset? Or did you realize that I don't want them to see me upset? I don't want them to see me crying. I asked Susan if I could share this. When Susan got upset, my wife, she would crawl underneath her bed and cry underneath her bed. Why? Because she did not trust her parents, her mom, to be emotionally there to comfort her. And what she was taught was, you have to comfort yourself. Nobody wants to see you crying. You want to cry? I'll give you something to cry about. Anybody ever hear that? Anybody ever hear that? And usually the next day, go out there and get that switch off that tree. Susan would crawl underneath her bed, hold her cat Hence why we have cats. <laughs> and that's how she regulated herself and dealt with her emotions or went into her closet. Was your mother able to soothe you when you were anxious or you're scared? Were your, was your father able to come in and say, you know, it's okay. Did you feel safe as a result of that? What was your experience out If your mother was not there for you emotionally, what you realize is this is not safe. It's not safe for me to share my emotions with her. I'm not securely attached to her. Thompson says we can grow up in homes in which food finds the table, the money finds the college funds, and even the family finds the church each Sunday, but somehow our hearts remain undiscovered by the two people we most needed to know us, our parents. Again, your parents loved you. Your parents may have done the best they can. But you are carrying a lot, not all of us, but a lot of us are carrying this emotional baggage in our little wagons along behind us. And you carry it into every relationship that you have. Were your parents strong enough to handle your negative emotions? Did you ever tell your parents, I hate you? What would you get when you told them that? Smacked? Anybody ever be told, um, I can't believe you said that. You hurt mommy's feelings. You should be ashamed to say that to me. You go to your room. What is that telling you as a little child? that you don't share those emotions. You don't let those out. Gabor Mate talks about, he said, you know, for little boys, you can get in a fight. You can have a little anger. It's okay. You can go play football. You can hit somebody. Or you can shout. Or you can do something for little boys. But we tell little girls on a regular basis, you don't show those emotions. It's not okay. You stifle them down. And he is a firm believer that you look at all all the autoimmune diseases that that, that we have in this country, the fibromyalgia, the MS, and you look at the incident rates, women have a much higher incident rate of those autoimmune diseases than men do. We think it's because, we always think, well, it's the men, they can't show emotions. No, they can, because I'm okay for me to get angry, I'm a man. It's not okay for you to get angry. It's not for you, okay for you to shout out like that. It's not okay for you to tell your mom you hate her. Did your parents, were they able to handle your strong emotions? Did they say, I can see that you're frustrated. I can feel how angry you are. That's okay. Nathan told, Nathan told me one day, he said, Dad, don't take this the wrong way, but I'm over you. <laughs> like 14. i was like, hey, I get it. I'm over myself a lot, you know? <laughs> why shouldn't you be too, right? It's okay. I did a lot of things wrong, but that was all right, you know? Hey, and the other thing, your parents didn't have to be perfect all the time, and neither do you, because I know when I do some of this, you're going to go home, and immediately you're going to start thinking at the lunch table day, man, we have screwed up our kids. <laughs> you're immediately going to think, man, I don't know how why I must be screwed. All a parent needs to do is about 50 percent right for you to have healthy kids. And let me t- remember. We're in between Eden and eternity. You will not get all of this right. You'll have one of these areas, you'll think about it and you'll say, I did a poor job of that. Sometimes it's because of what happens in the family. I was reading about something the other day, a couple, the husband dies. The wife had stayed home from work, but when the husband passed away, she had to go to work. So the first child she had, she, she was a stay-at-home mom. The second and child comes along guess what he does he get the same portion of his mom that the first child did no they're going to come from the exact same household have the same or the same parent are they going to have a different experience absolutely they are because the second child may realize hey mom's busy mom's got to work mom's tired mom's trying to get food on the table mom i have to take care of myself I have to regulate my own emotions. I don't want to burden mom with all my stuff because she's already got things on her plate. She lost her husband. She lost her dad. I have to be now, you know, step up and be on my own. Sometimes at an age that's too early. So what does that happen to that person when they grow up and they get married? How easy is it going to be when they marry someone who comes from a very emotionally healthy place, And they're saying and they look to their spouse and they say, why can't you share your emotions with me? Why can't you open up? Why can't we connect on this level that I want to connect to? And they look at their spouse and they go, "I, I don't do that. And you go, where does that come from? And they go to counseling and they go to therapy and they try to work and they do all these studies and they take all these things on communication. And then guess what happens? They still don't, oh, he still doesn't open up emotionally. Why? Because we've not gone back and talked about and addressed where that came from. How did that get in his wagon? What's he carrying around behind in his wagon? What are you carrying around in your wagon? Were Were your parents strong enough to handle your negative emotions? Was there a willingness to repair? Now, I will brag on Susan. I won't brag on me much, but She did a great job of this you know why because her mother would not say i'm sorry would not take ownership of anything that she had done wrong never once did she say i'm sorry i made a mistake so susan one thing she did she was willing to repair boys your mother messed up i am so sorry i can (laughs) tell that i missed this out you know i'm i apologize Was there a willingness to repair? You don't have to get it right 100% of the time, but 50% of the time, can you recognize, hey, you were really upset last night, but I had all this stuff going on in my mind from work. I probably did not really engage you like I should have. Or I know this is important to you. I know I missed that. I'm so sorry. Man, falling on your sword, so to speak, we, we use that term, I'll explain that analogy for, to you some other time. But being able to apologize, take ownership, admit, and engage when we did something wrong, or what part we had to play will go a million miles to fixing any problem that you have. But what happens if you grow up in a house where you couldn't show weakness? We don't apologize that going to be hard for somebody to show that kind of vulnerability is it because they're mean people and they don't like us or they're struggling or they're difficult no they're carrying along in their wagon all the lessons from growing up all these experiences all those interactions with your family with their family as their spouse and their partner you're trying to figure them out go get that family album look at that thing and start asking about tell me about your mom and dad how'd that work all right real quick that was the things that we need we need attunement we need engagement we need responsiveness we need the ability to regulate our emotions we needed our parents to be strong enough to handle our negative emotions, and we needed them to be willing to repair. Why is this stuff is important? Why is this stuff in our wagon? Why do you talk about this stuff, Randy? I'll tell you, the first reason, you've got to understand your backstory. You've got to understand your family of origins. You have to understand what's lurking in the dark corners of your little red wagon. It is the number one way for you to find healing. Brittany, the one picture of the... Um, person rowing. That's how we get healing. Everybody wants to tell you, you got to rip off the rearview mirror. You got to look forward. We move forward in this household. We don't think about the past. We don't talk about the past. We talk about the future. We're future focused. We're aggressive. We're Americans. You know, we're about success. This is how you move forward and become helpful. That sculler, I knew that, didn't know that's what that was called. Anybody, anybody into rowing and knew that? If you watch the Olympics, that's called sculling. And you sit in that little bitty, I call it a canoe. I'm sure I'm not using the right technical term. But I'm going that way, but I'm faced that way. And as I row and I work, I'm looking backwards. Let me tell you something. If you want to find healing in your family, if you want to find healing in your relationships, if you want your life to be different, if you want to wake up some days and understand how I am the way I am and how can I change and how can I get better and how can I find healing, You have to do this kind of story work. You have to look at what's inside your wagon. You have to be willing to open up your heart. And you have to be willing to face the facts that maybe your parents and your home life wasn't perfect. Guess what? Neither was mine. It's okay. Because why? Because we're where? In between Eden and eternity in a fallen world, it's not going to be perfect. I don't expect my parents to have been perfect. Have I learned a bunch of stuff over them in the last few years? Have we've done all this family work with Nathan, our son? I've learned tons about how dysfunctional my family was. I didn't realize how dysfunctional our family was. I've learned how it made me who I am and the person I am today. I've learned how it made me the positive things, and I've learned how it made me the negative things, right? And I learned that so that we can talk about it. And Susan and I can get on the same page and understand each other so that when I do something, it's not out of malice towards her or because I don't love her or because I want our relationship to be in turmoil. It's because of (laughs) Glenda. And I love Glenda. Luckily, she's not on Facebook and she don't listen and she don't watch. She's 80-something, all the stuff. You've got to look backwards to move forwards. All storytelling, all dealing with our past, a lot of times in the, in the Bible, it comes from the word that we translate as confession. The Greek word is homo legeo. The word homo part means sameness. Legeo means word. It's speaking the sameness with God. It's not confessing all the things I've done wrong. It's being in agreement with God about the truth. So in other words, when I speak my story and confess my story to God, am I willing and do I have enough courage to say the truth about how my family of origin shaped me into the person I am and all the things that really happened in my family? Because there is a strong urge first. You don't understand, Randy. My dad went through the depression. You don't understand what my family went through. You don't understand how hard it was for them to put food on the table. You don't understand, you know, my parents both had to work. They lost their parents. I know all that. I get that. And you need to show your family grace. Because why? They're falling between Eden and eternity. But don't discount, don't discount how that impacted your life and how the struggles that you have today, some of them are tied back to those issues that have not been resolved in your family of origin. There's a passage in Jeremiah 6 where God says to the prophets and the leadership of Israel, He says, they dressed the wounds of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. They dress, the wo- they dress the wounds of my people as though it were not serious. God was mad at the leaderships from prophet to priest. There was all these problems going on in Judah at that time. And Jeremiah, Jeremiah is Jesus' favorite prophet. He, he quotes Jeremiah more than any other prophet. And Jeremiah wrote down from God's Word, and they said, look, the people are hurting. The people of Judah and Israel are hurting. But the leadership all runs around and says, oh, it's fine. It's fine. Peace. Peace. It's fine. That's what we've done in the church. Pray some more. Get another book. Do another Beth Moore study. You'll be okay. You need to get saved because your soul needs fixing. But all this other stuff, oh, boy, one day we'll all just be taken out of here. This is not our home. Yeah, but until then, it's going to suck if we don't work on this stuff. We also do this to ourselves, don't we? Randy. That was 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. I don't want to talk about all that stuff. Does that stuff really matter? Oh, I don't know. Ask your spouse. Ask your partner. Ask anybody that's important to you in your life that you're in a relationship with. This is what we have to work on if we want to find healing and we want the relationships in our life to change. And for all you young folks here today, you need to think about this, right? When you find somebody that you want to be your partner in life, you know you, you better start thinking, what's their family look like? How functional is it? You know? Because when you marry them, guess what? All that stuff from that other family is going to be in their wagon. Guess what they bring into y'all's first place y'all going to live. All that junk in that wagon. Guess what you're bringing? All the junk in your wagon. <laughs> You've got to have, to get healing, you have to work on this stuff. How am I doing? Because we do have communion. Oh, we're good. We're good. (laughs) The third thing, the next thing we have to do, and this is end, we have to work on this stuff if we want to stop reenacting our past harm on the people in our life today. Because, let me give you an example. I'll give you two examples. You're a woman that grew up in a home with a father with a substance use problem. Your mother was very distant because she was dealing with that. And you learned at a very early age there isn't anyone here to take care of my emotional needs, I have to do it myself. But I also live in a house, I don't feel safe physically. Right, And if my father's coming home and things are not perfect, that might give him an excuse to blow up. So what do we do? We make sure everything's in its place. We make sure the house is spick and span. We make sure there are no dishes out. We make sure there's no clothes out. Everything's folded perfect. I can't control my outside world, so what do I try to do? Yeah, and that's how I do it. Now I'm married. And I'm out of town for a day or two. And you know, um, fr- from my side of it, once Susan leaves the house, I start to devolve back to a Neanderthal. <laughs> if she's gone for more than two or three days, I look around and go, how did this happen? How did I make this place so dirty? How did I make it? Oh, it was crazy. So in this scenario... She comes back, there's dishes on the counter, and there's clothes laying around. Now, she's stressed from her conference at work. She's got a a tight deadline to make. She hadn't seen the kids in a couple of days. And she comes home, and she told her husband, you know, I really like it when you pick things up. I really like it when there's no dishes around. I really like it when the, the laundry's put up. She comes home, and they've had this argument over and over and over again, and she wants to say, oh, honey, I really wanted you to pick the clothes up. I really wanted you to put the dishes up. But when she walks in, what does she do? What, did you think like that magic person that lives in the closet's going to clean this stuff up? What is wrong with you? Now, is she a 35-year-old successful woman when she's having that argument? No, she's an eight-year-old little girl who is so afraid that her father's about to get home and see that there are dishes out around, there's clothes out around, and she knows what that chaos is going to look like. So when she's feeling stressed and she's feeling anxious and she feels that her outside world is in chaos, the way that she wants to find and regulate her own emotions is everything needs to be put in place. Maybe her husband came from this greatest family in the world, And they just loved each other. And if stuff was laying around, who cared? Because it really didn't matter. If they don't understand where this comes from, they will have this same argument over and over and over and over again. They may go to counseling. They may do a study together. They may read a book together. But if they don't get back to the root and understand why she feels this way and why this makes such an impact on her, they are doomed in some ways to repeat these same things over and over and over again. A buddy of mine, dab in the army, traveled a lot, gone. The mother was emotionally needy. Who did she turn to? The son. So she basically formed a triangle. They talk about this in Bowen theory. She and him became emotionally attuned. They became emotionally enmeshed. She started to treat him as the surrogate spouse, probably part of the way because he was better at it than his dad. He's a young child. He starts to look at her. He realizes he can manipulate her emotionally to get what he wants because his dad's not there, his dad comes home, and he starts to see that this emotional bond has found, has has come between these, his son and his wife, and all of a sudden he starts to realize that the wife actually turns and finds comfort from the son more than it does him, so what does he do? Starts taking it out on the kid. And then all of a sudden, I've heard it. Anybody in the military, anytime that has been spent around with a bunch of guys, Claude, you've sponsored guys, what do you hear? My dad never loved me. Yeah, your dad was jealous of you. Your dad might have hated you because you had replaced him. Now, whose fault is that? I don't know. But you see, these things happen. So early in our ages and so early in our lives, we don't understand them. We can't explain them. We'll do things that we can't explain. I tell people at the Courage Center, parents when they come to me, when you find out your child is using substances, you will be in a panic. And what's going to happen is you may be educated, you may have a great relationship, you may be all put together, but when you find out that there is something wrong in your family and you're pushed and you're stressed, you will revert back to that 8-year-old girl, that 9-year-old boy, and that's how you're going to react. You ever been in a very stressful situation and you looked at your partner, your friend, and you're like, where did that come from? That was not like you at all. I don't remember you doing that. Why? Because that's not your 40-something-year-old partner. That's an eight-year-old girl, a five-year-old girl whose needs were not met emotionally and found out that the world was a scary place and there was no one there for them and they have to regulate themselves and they have to take care of themselves. I want to ask the band to come up. What's the first step that we can take to make things better? Sunday? I know today was a, he- a heavy message, man. It was hard. Um, but it's a message we in the church need to hear. And it's something we need to work on. I don't know we don't, I know we don't do this much, but if you would stand, and I'm going to give us a benediction as we leave today. From Ephesians 3:20 20 and 21, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, According to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all. Amen, amen, and amen. Go in his peace.